<laughs> okay. Oh boy, that's what I was wondering if this is gonna be like incriminating. <laughs> oh, this is everything we do here is incriminating. So. Welcome Sweet. back, everyone. To the yeah, it's it's not it's not good outside here. It's still a lot of snow. I don't know. Yeah, I don't same. know. Yeah, we did we didn't get as much as we were promised, but it was it was the bare minimum to for the kid to actually get her sled out. So that was good. Yeah, we did too. We got like a hill right over here that we can go. We probably got like. Oh, maybe like seven inches, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, we were promised to be, it sounded like it was going to be between that six and 10 range. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead we got, we just got the wintry mix. So we, we got the moisture, but when it comes down as rain, you get nothing. So yeah. Were you in, are you in Lincoln? Sorry. Omaha. 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 Okay. Yeah. I think it, by the time it got out there, it just kind of, cause it, it was wet here at the beginning too. Listen, listen to us old guys. We're going to start talking about the weather. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, welcome everyone to the Reflex Blues Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beer, and I got with me from Fort Collins, Colorado, another another person talking about nothing but snow because it is it is late January when we're recording this. Christopher Cox. Chris, Christopher, Mr. Cox. What, what uh, Chris. Chris is fine. All right. Chris, welcome. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and and you're and, and where do people go to find your work? First off, is it still change the thought or what, yes. what, what's the? It's it's still mostly change the thought, but unfortunately, since about 2015, 2016, I think that was the last time I updated. I've done probably a thousand times more than what's currently online representing me, and I haven't shared any of it with anybody for like years, so. It's so probably good fodder for a story. <laughs> I I don't think that is uncommon. I think I think if if you asked anyone how how up to date is your work on your website, they would they're like I don't want to talk about it. So where do you send people to look for your, for your work? Like if people want to go check out what you what you've Man, done, I still send them there because it's I mean, it's still all my work. Like before I kind of ran a motion design studio for a few years. So I'd kind of show some of the stuff that I did and then also stuff that I was producing with other people. And I got to this point when I switched over to brand emphasis and design again, where I only wanted to show my own work. I was like, you know what? I'm tired of going out there and being asked that question. So it's change of thought that us and all the work on there is just my work. So I, I st I'll still send people there because I think the work's strong enough. It's gotten me to where I am now. But there's more stuff on Dribble, but I, I kind of hate Dribble because it's like, it's not a very good place. I don't think for graphic designers, unless you're like regurgitative and you just do the same thing over and over again, which I don't. So, but I, I, there's more current stuff on Dribble. I just throw stuff on there every once in a while. And then I've been working with DLR group now for about eight years under contract and uh, they have a Behance page. I think it's just DLR Group's Behance page. And I'd say probably like 60% of the projects on that page are all my work. So, and that's a good place to look for newer stuff. Other than that, I'm trying to build some PDFs that I can just send out, you know, that kind of outline different things I know how to do with different examples. And then at some point this year, I, I'm going to totally rebuild and, you know, put up a whole new website. And I got somebody to do it for me right now. I've just been you know, it's the worst, dude. It's the worst thing to have to do. It really is. Like, it's almost like going to the dentist for like somebody that does what we do. I hate it. 
I can do it for other people. I'm really good at doing it for other people. When it comes to doing it for yourself, it's almost like you wish you could just throw a bunch of JPEGs or something into a folder and be like, hey, can you make these all look nice on a website for me? And then just, I do design stuff. So just say, this guy does design stuff and then put them all on there. Thanks. <laughs> like, I wish well, I could do that. Or just or just send your client just, uh, here's here's a random folder of JPEGs. I think mm. you know, most of them are mine. A couple of mine I might've just, might might be memes that I just thought were funny, but yeah, you can you should I mean, be able to figure it out. That is a good point. So, like honestly, now I've been on Dropbox like since the beginning. So I got grandfathered into one of those like massive accounts. I have like twelve terabytes or something. All all almost all my stuff is there, and and it's all in the cloud. So like I have folders now that are broken out for different kinds of work I've done, brand proposals, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And they're all categorized now. And then they're also subcategorized according to kind of the market that they fall under, you know, entertainment, retail, blah, blah, blah. And I'll send people to those because I built all that stuff. And there's like a hundred to 200 page brand guides in there that I've written and designed by myself. So I feel like more than anything, that's probably, and lately when I get work, that's really that's really what seals the deal. I'll send them that stuff. And they're like, okay, like you're good to go. So that that's been mostly what I, I send out. But for the last few years, I've mostly been on retainer with a lot of people and I've just kind of moved from here to here. And then I take projects occasionally, but I really haven't been that aggressive about project pursuit in a few years. So which is also probably why everything's out of date because because current clients don't ask like hey what are, what are you working on outside no. of our stuff they don't they have I found they just don't have any interest mm -hmm. yeah but I do get a lot of stuff that comes in a lot of strange projects like I've got another agency right now that wants me to rebrand them and it's always restrange it's always strange as a designer to rebrand or brand a creative agency feels like something you shouldn't do you almost feel like you're it's invasive but i do actually think it's better coming from agencies in the past i worked in agencies for about a decade i think agencies i think a lot of agencies shouldn't do branding unless they're a branding agency but there's a lot of ad agencies and motion design agencies and different kinds of illustration agencies that think they can do brand and then they try to brand and realize that it was a huge disaster so they either add that to their repertoire and sell it and then build it like you would any other business silo or they just shouldn't do it at all. So I end up, I've done a lot of branding for studios and agencies, which is weird. Do they ever realize that it's a disaster when they do it or do they think that what they did was good? I don't think so. I mean, I've done a few of them too where I'll, I'll hand it off to them and then they'll take some of what I did and try to redo it and then dilute it and make it worse, which... You know, there's no reason to, for me at that point to even say anything because I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, I came from the same background that you did. So I adhere to like pretty rigid standards, you know, where, you know, there's grid structures and, you know, I'm doing everything very deliberately. And and so then the minute they start changing that, you can see it, see it come apart visually. And there's just nothing I can do about it, you know. So the hardest part for me in my career so far probably is just being one guy the whole time and one guy sometimes just isn't enough for people to like listen or or care you know so i try to let the work do it for me but 
you know how it is like working with agencies and stuff. I don't know if like, I've done a lot of freelance for agencies too. They'll listen to you up until a point and then it just stops because they're the experts and you're not, even though ironically they hired you to be what they're not. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they don't hire you because I mean, they, they realize you're an expert, but they also think that, well, they may be an expert at that, but we're better at art directing. That's why we hire yeah. them. I mean, there's always that. And, and I mean, I think you, I think from the agency standpoint, to be fair, I think they have to have that approach almost at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, I left advertising because I didn't feel like there's the respect for design in the, in the practice of advertising that I thought there should be. They always put in my experiences, they always put designers beneath everyone else. So like, it was almost like designers were in this trickle down area that came from ideation and copywriting down to like, oh no, now we got to orchestrate this somehow through design. So now it's this grunt guy's turn or girl's turn to do this work. But when I worked in advertising, I was much more integral to concept and, and development than a lot of other people were. And ironically, one of the copywriters who is one of my closest partners really early in my career in advertising, he was an illustrator also for one of the local newspapers in Denver. So he was really good at just sitting down and sketching things, almost like storyboarding. And I love to write also. I've written a few scripts and and I I blogged for about 18 years, you know. So I wrote somewhere around 40,000 posts or something like that to my own blog in that time. And I don't know how many more for design is kinky and linked up back in the day, not LinkedIn. This is like before social media. Oh, I don't think um, I've even heard of that one. Yeah. It turned into news today eventually. Okay. But like, you know, I wrote, I started blogging in like 99 around there, 99, 2000. And then I wrote for design is kinky for like eight years. And then I wrote for my own blog for maybe 14. But uh, so I like to write. So when I worked in advertising, I like to sit down and like figure it out, like through writing, like, okay, what if this person does this? And and I really like the storytelling aspect. I That's probably the part I miss most about that phase in my career. But we would go out and I do all this in this, and the copywriter would sit there and sketch it out. And then we'd go back and kind of exchange notes. And then I'd take his sketches and put him into layout and then he would take some of my ideas and then turn them into longer format copy. And the people that ran the agency would get mad at us sometimes because they'd be like, you guys aren't working the right way. You're like subverting all the reasons that like the two of you are supposed to be working together. Like you're supposed to be doing this and he's supposed to be doing that. And we were like, but we're winning all these awards and getting all this business. Like what difference does it make? Well, so, I think I, I, don't know. I just think it's probably a mutual respect you had with the copywriter. And, yeah. and it was probably just that, you could speak each other's language to a point, which I can see as gratefully help, great yeah. helpful. I miss that guy. He's one of the few people in the past that I wish I could have kept along with, but he's running. I think he's running an agency now, or he's a creative director, I think at Vladimir Jones in Denver. Okay. Yeah. And we should know when you said we come from similar backgrounds, we went to the same school, although different years. And then, and then I guess I just headed the opposite direction of, that you did uh, geographically you you headed off yeah. to Colorado I headed to the other other side of the state so yeah I bolted as fast as I could <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I actually... was born in Kearney and raised in Kearney so like I was in oh. my hometown going to school so 
I took anything I could get. Oh, <laughs> uh, see, I, I, I was from Grand Island, so like Carney was already like you know forty five minutes away. So yeah, yeah, but. I was ready to go. I wanted to move to California at some point, and I spent many years learning about it and traveling to it and ex- exploring it and through clients, and then I I ended up working for kind of a Rob Deerdick, the guy that makes the show Ridiculousness on MTV. I was his kind of like brand consultant for three or four years. We just I just stopped working with him last summer, and he kept trying to get me to move out there. But then the pandemic hit, and then he kind of actually realized that I was in the perfect situation while he was trying to deal with being there and everything that happened there. But I thought about it for a while. I mean, he almost convinced me kind of at the beginning. But when we moved here to Fort Collins four years ago, I knew that was it. I'm going to raise my kids here. And if something outrageous happens in the next like decade, maybe. I can I can never think that far ahead, but hopefully, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, I I'm always I'm working on, I always have like a whole bunch of stuff that I've got going on, like all, you know, I, I kind of have all these different buckets that I have my hands in and I'm okay, always. Well, well, we're going to be right back with Chris Cox. So, so Chris, speaking of these buckets, we got to talk about, I mean, the one thing that you're, you're always promoting is you've been doing alternate movie posters. How'd you get into oh, that yeah. scene? Oh, man. And, and explain what that scene is, because it's just like, you know, just cool movie posters that don't exist. Yeah, basically, it's the words to describe it are exactly what it is. They're alternative movie posters to like the standard, typical one sheet stuff. And I think a lot of it stems from kind of the eighties and nineties, which were in my opinion, like peak, peak pop culture. I don't think there is a pop culture anymore. Um, I don't think pop culture exists. I think pop culture was only, it only happened when we didn't have the internet and there was kind of an overriding culture that was only available through like a really limited means that you really had no choice to respond to. Like it, it was just there. So like, you knew who Michael Jordan was, you knew who Bo Jackson was, you watched Steven Spielberg movies, you wore certain things, you know, and you knew what brands were cool and it was all new. And I think it kind of peaked in the late nineties and the whole alternative movie poster scene, I think is just this longing for that kind of nostalgia. But ironically, there's a whole new generation in there now who wasn't necessarily old enough to have experienced that peak pop culture, maybe some of it in the nineties, but they want art and they feel like the kind of marketing and advertising kind of thing that happens around major feature films is just kind of boring. And they want, I think they want something else that feels more like a a memento or a piece of memorabilia that they can kind of commemorate their love for whatever film or forever, and then have it be limited and collectible and screen printed so that they can kind of claim a collector status of ownership. So basically in 2000, uh, I left the agency I was at in 2010 and already in 2009, I was kind of experimenting with potentially making posters. Cause I started collecting Mondo posters in 2010. It's a, a little business out of Austin, Texas that is associated with the Alamo draft house, but they were recently bought by Funko pop, I think. So no more Almo, but I knew some of the guys that started 
Mondo. I knew Tim. Uh, oh my gosh, why can't I? Tim Doyle, a little bit. I messaged him back and forth. And there's this other guy, Jay Shaw, that lived in Denver. And Jay ended up leaving Denver and going to Austin and became the creative director of Mondo. I don't know if he's still there or not. But I was really interested in Tyler Stout. And and I love, I've always been a collector all my life. Like I have that X-Force comic at, um, in my library downstairs, like the original one. Oh, you see my I've poster. Always... You see the poster behind me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so. signed by it's signed by Fabian, the the, oh, nice. the co-author. He he came through Lincoln actually the uh, the day it was released, oh, and he was cool. there signing X Force One. And so so like I mean like I started seeing all this stuff on Deadpool like yeah you know probably like a decade ago or something. I'm like, is that that just yeah. generic character from yeah. when I was a kid? So I went. I've I've got an autographed first appearance of him because when when it was there, it was just like three months old, and nobody cared at all about this character. And then since then, I'm like, oh, they, you know, it's it, it's unrecognizable from its first appearance. Yeah, but, yeah. Basically, like Admon Clothing label back in like from like 06 to like 2010, and it was really running pretty well on my blog. It kind of helped me buy my first house. And I'd kind of come off of doing stuff for Obama in 2008 and got to meet Shepard Barry and went to a bunch of, got invited to do a lot of shows. You know, that was probably my peak career, you know, in the younger phase of my career, because I was really popular online and was able to pull a lot of strings and get involved in all kinds of stuff and learned a lot about screen printing from being involved in all that. And when I saw the poster stuff start to happen, there was one I wanted really bad. I wanted Kill Bill by Tyler Stout in 2010. And I tried to get it and I couldn't get it. And it made me really mad. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, wait a minute. I've always been good at getting this kind of stuff. If I can't get it, people must really want these. So then I started wondering like, well, how hard would it be to make one? And what would I do if I did one? And what would I need? And up until that point in my career, I'd only been using my right hand because I'm ambidextrous. So I do all my graphics and well, like kind of more regimented grid-like graphics and typography with my right hand using a mouse, but I actually write and draw with my left hand. So I knew if I was going to get into the movie posters, I'd have to get either a Wacom or a, a Cintiq. And I can't use the Wacom because then I'm using both of my hands to move stuff around the screen. Like it, it makes my brain go crazy. So I had, I knew I had to get a Cintiq. So I got a Cintiq in like maybe 09 to 2010, and then just started drawing my first poster, which was really weird for me because it was the first time ever I was incorporating that part of myself into my work. So I still kind of delineate those things. Like I don't go to the other screen very often. And when I do, I make sure I have like long blocks of time to just like be on there drawing. I've got a really big one now. But I, I picked a film, Nosferatu, that was in the public domain and made a poster and did all the stuff that Mondo does. I put metallic inks on it and a glow-in-the-dark layer and color flood and had it all water-based, you know, on like really expensive paper and just tried to see how many of them I could sell. Somebody tried to shut down my sale and like clog it by like over-demanding it, which totally screwed up. When I first sold, I didn't know somebody could do that, but I ended up selling enough that I made a small profit, you know, over breaking even. 
And I was kind of like, well, maybe it would be better to like do this through somebody else. So then I started pursuing bottleneck, a gallery that opened in, I think 2012 and never did, never got to do anything for Mondo, but I'd say around 20, when would it be like 2012 to 2014, there started to be these online collecting groups that grew into these little clusters and they would want stuff that they weren't getting from Mondo or the, the places that were doing licensed work. And as kind of a legal workaround or loophole, when there's a group of people that want to collect something like that, they can commission an artist and then get it. And as long as it's not a public sale, it's not really breaking any laws. So I started being commissioned a lot. And I knew in order to get the commission, this is how I've gotten all my work throughout my career. I always call it going fishing because my dad was, my dad's a big fisherman. I knew I was going to have to do one first to convince everybody that I could do it. So I made a Mad Max Fury Road poster. And then I just like posted it to one of the groups and all these people are like, oh my gosh, I got to have that, you know, where is it? And then I turned that into a commission and then I took over that commission and then controlled the whole printing process myself. And then uh, just started doing them from there. And then I'd say maybe like, boy, I don't know, five or six years ago, I started doing typography for other artists. So there's a guy named Paul Mann. He used to be kind of like a religious painter, but he paints everything in acrylic. He's in his like late 60s, I think, uh, maybe even his early 70s. I don't know. He He paints everything by hand and I do most of his posters. Um, I think I've done maybe 35 of them so far. And then I got to do stuff for like Steve Chorney. He's, he did posters in the eighties, you know, for like Indiana Jones and stuff like that. But he kind of came out of retirement. He does everything in colored pencil by hand. And Quentin Tarantino hired him to do all of those posters in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, all the fake ones, you know, oh, like yeah. Nebraska Jim. And, and right. so I did some type for him and there's another guy, Enzo Ciotti. He just died this last summer. I think he just had a heart attack, but I was doing some of his posters. So I've done so many, there's gotta be at least 50 to 75 of them now that I've done over the last, I just did one yesterday. I've got like four more to do. So I kind of do those in the background and they kind of keep me connected to it, but I haven't done my own poster since last year. Uh, I did total recall and it's by far the most detailed and insane one I've ever done. It took me forever to make it, but we can't get anybody to print. There's just like no printers available right now in the United States. Everybody's backlogged. It's taken like a year to two years for some of them to clear their, their QEs right now. So it, I lost interest and I haven't, I'm supposed to do a few more, but I don't know. I'm getting old. I'm assuming it hurts also when when you can't when you don't. I mean, part of the reason you're doing it is to get the the immediate gratification and mm -hmm. feedback. And if you can't get it printed, then that's got to be yeah. hard. Yeah. What's so. what's been your favorite one that you've done so far? The one that that's. Well, I'm surrounded by them. Personal all connection yeah. in my studio. Well, probably seven and uh, Zodiac. Just because I think those are the best ones I've done, and then I kind of almost invented my own style doing those. The really it's funny because a lot of my graphic stuff is more minimalist and then my illustrations like super maximalist and i don't know why and and then my illustration stuff's really gritty but i feel like the style worked best on seven and zodiac and then they they're paired together they work together 
I know Fincher saw him on a podcast and really liked him. And there's a lot of people that worked on Seven and Zodiac that have those posters now at home and really love them. That's got to be a surreal thing. Yeah. Well, I got Schwarzenegger to sign a bunch of them too. So I, I went to England or the UK, the United Kingdom. So I don't offend my friends over there. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm going to take your word for it. When uh, right before the pandemic, I think it was 2019, and they invited me to kind of this like black tie event where he gives like a motivational talk and then they interview him kind of for TV. I've got some friends that work for the company that does these interviews. They invited me over because he was going to, he sells, he auctions off stuff to charities and then he signs all of it. And then you can get a copy of it if you're the artist. So he signed the Terminator poster behind me and then my Running Man poster. So I was really excited to get Running Man out there because I know he'll like it. And then this one ended up being licensed. So um, the studio can use it. And then the Running Man one ended up being licensed because Arnold liked it so much. So they re-released the Running Man in Europe, in Germany, in German, and then also in uh, the UK as like a steelbook, a collector's steelbook. So I was, I actually got that art on two different steelbooks, which was cool. But you know, of all the stuff I'm doing in my career, honestly, the the posters and stuff are probably the least exciting. So, I mean, that's part of the reason my emphasis has changed because I'm I'm just working on bigger and more interesting things now. Yeah, but we'll be right back with Chris Cox. Chris, we, we just got a few minutes left. Um, what what have you been doing now? What 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 is exciting? Because you know posters are kind of going on the back burner for a bit anyway. Maybe it's because well, Schwarzenegger's not there signing them. You know, if he if he shows yeah. up at your studio and he needs to give you the pep talk, <laughs> he needs to be. He he seems like the guy that could do really well at sitting behind your shoulder and really art directing you, like, uh, it, but but in a motivating way where you wouldn't be mad about it. Dude, he's getting old, man. He's like really old. Like, I mean, like has trouble hearing kind of old, you know, when I saw him. So I was surprised. Um, you forget how they, they can get people to look pretty good on film. Yeah. Like, but he's, yeah. he's a cool guy, man. Like he was, his speech, his talk was amazing. It like really inspired me. Um, well, now, man, there's just so many things I've done. It's so hard. I have a really crazy career. I, the environmental graphics stuff I'm doing for DLR has been really exciting. There was a project we did last year where um, they emptied out a Coles that was going to be demolished in Kansas City, and they turned it into a school for kids in the area um, that are kind of underserved. And it attracted the governor and um, it turned into this huge uh, thing. And it's won more awards than anything I've ever done singularly as a project. So that's been really exciting. And we did a CTE school in Denver, one of the first of its kind in the nation that kind of got the blessing from Governor Polis. So that was really exciting um, because I just did so many graphics for those how, two projects. How far in advance do you, <clears throat> I know I know these architectural projects take years, I know. Mm. How far in advance do you have to start working on them? I assume it helps that you have multiple ones so that you don't have to like sit there and wait yeah. for two years for everything to get done. I'm usually working on anywhere between four to like 14 of them, at a, of them at a time. I worked on Cherry Creek Innovation Campus for three years. That was, it was before they even broke ground. And I worked on North Kansas City Early Education Center for maybe two years. So they usually take anywhere between one to four years before they're done, you know, and they're all 
out there in the world. You know, I've been doing this for eight years with Adam Wells, and he's great. He's been super loyal. We went to school together. Um, that's why I've stayed for so long. It's crazy. I haven't taken a job yet, but uh, he's just worked with me. And he approached me in 2015 when I started doing branding because I was already doing some of this work in Denver. Had done some big buildings there by myself. And we just kept at it right from the start. At the beginning, it was just the two of us. And now there's eight other people on the team. One of them is Giovanni Hollingsworth. Adam hired. Um, but I found him after uh, he got dropped by uh, CSA Arts because they lost the French paper client. Oh, yeah. Well, French paper got bought by yeah. Domtar or something, right? Or no, mm -hmm. Finch. I don't remember. Yeah, it's It may drop CSA like right away. So I picked up Giovanni, I, I think either during or right after the pandemic, I think we hired him like within like two months of him leaving CSA. So he's been there and Giovanni's incredible. He's probably one of the most talented designers I've ever known. So that added a lot more weight on the team. So between he and I, him and I kind of do a lot of the crazy stuff, you know, and they, they give us pretty give us a lot of lead way to just kind of do our thing and make what we think is right. But I convinced Adam to kind of build branding as a more integrated offering into some of the projects maybe five or six years ago. And we've been building up to that as much as we can. It's been mostly education work and the education work is really difficult because they just don't think like a, a typical client would. It's not their money. There's no profit motive. So it's just people's opinions and those projects can be super challenging, but they've made me a lot better at what I do. And so finally this year, it sounds like we might be in our first luxury hotel. So to move into that sector would be huge. And then sport, we're doing a minor league baseball team right now. So we're trying to kind of break out of where we've been, but you know, we're the, we're under the roof of an architecture firm and that's just not you know they typically go outside the firm to get that work so it's been hard convincing the company that we work for that we're capable of these things but the the awards and the amazing creative talent i think have helped a lot so and then outside of that i started asking for ownership shares in the companies that i'm branding so there's three companies that i'm involved in right now that i have a partnership percentage in that I'm helping develop from the ground up since I learned so much about branding when I worked with Rob Deerdick, because Rob was running a venture capital firm and would bring the companies that he wanted to brand to me at their inception point. And him and I would kind of look over those companies and try and figure out what they should sound like, what they should look like, who they're for, and then work with research agencies who kind of profile dem demography and everything for us. So I, I just learned a lot about how to kind of architect a company and its brand, you know, from zero, like literally just somebody giving me the concept, I'm going to open an organic hamburger restaurant. that's going to be all locally sourced and we're going to have it in this part of the city. Like, what should we call it? How should that look? So those are the kind of things I'm involved in more now. And that's the stuff that I really love to do because you're changing things for people and you're involved in their business and it's much more intimate. And then you become a much more important facet of business to those people. It's you're not just a designer doing a project. 
skin in the game. No, I love it. I love it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with us and uh, we'll be in touch. Sounds awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab.